Let's, uh, let's open our time in, in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to, to look, at, look at your word. Thank you that there's something for us here. Thank you that you're a God who still speaks. And Father, I pray over this time that you would cause your word to go forth. I pray that you would be lifted up and exalted. I pray that these truths would not just be something that stays in our head, but, Father, it would go down to, to our hearts and that you would cause there to be real change. We look to you now, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had an experience like this? Get up in the morning and get up early enough so you can have your, your quiet time and um, and everything's just, it's going great. You have plenty of time. You're able to get quiet with the Lord. You have time to pray. You get time time in your word, or in his word, not your word, the Lord's word. And, and he's speaking, and, and maybe you're journaling, or you're just taking time to meditate on it, and everything seems to be going really well. Um, I like to illustrate. I like to visualize things, so I'm going to kind of visualize this. So you're fellowshipping with the Lord, and you're doing great. Your state of being, you know, it's just, it's good. It's a good day. You, you just think, man, this is going to be a great day. And, and maybe you get to work. And when you get to work, your, your boss comes and says something, gives you a new task or something, something you were not at all expecting. And in your heart, you just start to complain and grumble. And you're not happy anymore. I mean, unbelievable. You know, how could he give this to me or she give this to me? Like, I don't have time for this. And, and that unhappiness just keeps boiling up. You've got a coworker that comes by your, your office and you're just like, can you believe what the, you know, what so and so told me to do? And don't they understand? And, and all of this. And, and so sin enters in. And, and at that moment, you're still in a relationship with the Lord, but you're no longer fellowshipping with Him. Sin has entered in, and it's broken that fellowship with the Lord. And, and maybe you, you don't quite realize it, but hopefully just a few seconds later, sometimes we ignore the Spirit's prompting, but conviction of sin enters in. And again, it, it could be a while that you're debating, no, that wasn't sin, and, and yet the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it back and back and back, and then you realize, you know what? Yeah, that was sin. And so you, you take, just, it doesn't take long, but you just say a prayer to the Lord, you confess that sin, and fellowship is possible, but as far as how you're doing, you're, Beating yourself up for sinning. You're, you're going over it, over in, in your mind and you're thinking like, wow, I just blew it. My coworker, I'm trying to be a witness and, and now I'm not even a, you know, like I, I, I just complained. What kind of witness am I? What kind of testimony am I? And you're just beating yourself up over and over. And, and because you're, you're wallowing in that, you, you feel like, you know what, I just can't pray anymore. I, 
I don't feel like getting into the Word anymore. And so even though fellowship is possible, you just, you just feel so burdened by your sin. Now, there is a sorrow that leads to repentance, right? Paul talks about that. And that's a good thing, and that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And maybe afterwards you're still sorry, you're still kind of grieving over that sin. That's good. But the, the thing that I'm talking about is this heavy sense of guilt that's hindering your walk with the Lord. Okay, so this isn't the good kind of conviction. This is a bad, heavy, hindering guilt. Have you ever had a situation like that? Maybe not the exact same sin. Maybe it's something else. So my question this morning, and what I want us to think through, is how can you and I be free from this heavy, hindering guilt? Because this is keeping us from fellowshipping with the Lord. How can we be free of this? Again, we've already confessed the sin. We're clean. Fellowship is restored with the Lord, or it's at least possible but how do we get free of this heavy guilt that's just keeping us down, hindering us, to moving forward with the Lord? And, and so this morning, I want to equip you with some truth from the Word of God to help you in this. So, there is freedom, and the freedom is going to be found in what God has to say. So, that freedom starts actually in a principle that we see In Psalm 42, we're not going to park here for long, but if you want to go ahead and turn there, Psalm 42, and again, we're not going to spend much time here, so I won't try to paint the whole picture of what's going on in the psalm, but um, this person is down, he's depressed. Uh, If you read through the, the whole psalm, it's a great one, it pairs well with Psalm 43, Um, In fact, it could have been originally one psalm at one point, but uh, again, we won't go there. But if you look at verse 5, the psalmist, again, he's downcast, he's depressed, and notice what he does. Verse 5, this is kind of like a refrain, you know, it's a song, um, so it comes up later on in verse 11 and and in in, uh, chapter 43 as well. But look at what Psalm 42 verse 5 says. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what is the principle that we should take from this verse? It's this. And this is where it starts, this freedom from this hindering guilt. We must preach truth to ourselves. You must preach truth to yourself. As Martin Lloyd-Jones, he stated this, We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing, and he had quotes in here, ourselves to talk to us. So we've got to preach truth to ourselves. 
That's what the psalmist does. Why am I cast down? Why am I in turmoil? Hoping God. He's preaching to himself. He's bringing himself back to what is true. So what specific truth do we need to remind ourselves in these situations where we have this heavy, hindering guilt? And that's what we're going to be looking at with the remainder of our time. And I'm going to challenge you. I'm not going to just state it up front. We're going to kind of go on a journey. And as we go on this journey, I want you to keep that question in mind. How is what I'm learning about relate to being free from this heavy, hindering guilt? So as you're going along, again, it may seem like we're kind of out there, but we are going to come back to answering this question. We're going to get there. We're going to get to the answer. So what truth do we need to come back to and how can we be free? Well, the truth starts back at the very beginning, like the very, very beginning. It goes back to creation. <clears throat> it's incredible when you stop to think about creation and God's intention for mankind, for humanity. I mean, just think about the creation order. You know, God creates light, water, sky, dry land and plants, he creates the sun, he creates the birds, the marine life, and then comes the land animals, the reptiles, and then comes us, right? Humans. Like God created everything and then he created us to enjoy all that he had created. It's kind of like he kind of set the table for us in a sense. He made everything just right And then he put us here. And it's not just that he made everything and then created us. He created us in his image, right? Like none of the other creatures, the the bears, the, the dogs, the cats, birds, none of those have God's image stamped on them. But we have God's image. And what's also incredible and amazing is how God actually formed us. Like, with everything, he's talking, speaking it into being, because God has powerful words. But when it came to us humans, he, like, formed us, and he breathed into us and and created us. He took Eve out of Adam and and formed her and created her. And so we're we're unique. We're different than all creation, because we've been created in God's image and, and differently. But not only that, we've also been created to know God. Like Adam and Eve, they, they walked with God. They talked with God. They enjoyed unhindered fellowship with God. They were in right standing with God. And, and what that means is God is righteous which means he always does what's right. In fact, he defines right. He is right. And to enjoy fellowship with God who's righteous, you have to be righteous as well. You have to be at that same level. And Adam and Eve were created, and they they enjoyed that. They were righteous with God. They, They enjoyed that fellowship with God, unhindered fellowship with God. But then something happened, right? They, that, that fellowship with God didn't continue. It broke down. The relationship broke apart. 
And of course, we know it came from Adam and Eve disobeying God. God had told them, don't eat from this tree. They were tempted. They ate. And that brought about consequences. And we feel those consequences, things. We feel those consequences. Don't we, even, even today, um, we don't automatically have a relationship with God. Even though Adam and Eve were created for that, there's something missing in our lives. There's a, a hole there. There's a vacuum there. Something's not right. And, and because we don't have a relationship with God, we're told by God himself that if, if you're not right with God when you die, you're going to face consequences for eternity, eternal separation from God. That, that relationship that's supposed to provide joy and like the ultimate good in life would never happen for eternity separated from God. And God will judge those who are not in a right relationship with him because he's righteous. Now, we see some of this in the book of Romans, and that's where we're going to go next. So turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now, it's hard to just jump into a passage in the book of Romans, right? Um, it's very much connected and, and, and related. And so just to kind of catch us up to speed, if we were to start to read from the, from the beginning, um, you know, there's the opening salutations and all, and, um, and, and we get into to chapter 1, and towards the latter part of chapter 1, and really all the way up to chapter 3, where we're going to be looking at in the book of Romans, Paul has been talking about these different groups of people. And he starts off by talking about these people who, though they have a knowledge of God, they suppress that. And they end up worshiping everything but God. And, and, and so Paul makes the point, they don't have a relationship with God. They're not right with God. So he takes that group. And then he takes another group of people. He talks about people who maybe do a lot of good things. They're very moral people. But even those people, those don't have a right standing with God. They don't have a relationship with God. And then he gets to a third group, the Jews, who had a great history. They had a great heritage. They were physically related to, to, to Abraham, the great man of faith. But they, too, don't have a right relationship with God. And so what Paul does is he kind of brings this all to a conclusion. To make sure he didn't miss anyone in those three groups, he says this. And let's start reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? He just talked about the Jews, and, and so he makes this statement. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, so Jews and Gentiles, anyone not a, not a Jew, are under sin. 
as it is written. And Paul, he's going to go through several Old Testament passages to show what God thinks. This isn't just Paul's opinion. This is what God thinks. And he pulls this from the Old Testament. None is righteous. Again, what does righteous mean? It means being in right standing with God, being right with God, doing the right thing. None is righteous. No one does the right thing. No one's in a right relationship. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceit. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul's making it very clear. Everyone, no one is right with God. Not even one. I mean, it just goes over and over. No one, all. There's no exceptions to this. All of us. And it's not just that, but everything about us is wrong. Everything about us doesn't meet up to God's standard of perfection. The, to, the totality of who we are, by nature, we do not meet God's standard. And he, and he describes that here in this passage. And if, if anyone were to read that and then think, well, maybe I could just do enough good to merit God's standard. If, if that was just a, a possibility, a question... Paul goes and says this in verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, and he's talking about the Old Testament here, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. No one's excluded. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight you can't do it you can't do the works you can't try to obey the bible and get a right standing with god not possible when when he says justified here he's saying when you're you're said to be right with god that's what he says no you can't get right with god by trying to obey the bible because since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The Bible just shows us we've done wrong. We don't meet up to God's standard. And we can't meet up to God's standard. And so no one, none of us, is capable of getting into a right relationship with God. No one's right and no one can get right. And that leaves us in a really dark picture. A hopeless situation. There's a guy by the name of Paul Grinberg. He said it his goal to go to the top 100 restaurants in the world. 
back in 2011, he decided to do this. And he was a pretty wealthy guy, so um, that wasn't an issue. But he traveled all over the world. He traveled up these, these windy mountain roads. He went through exhaustion to try to get to these places. He, he tried everything. I mean, it was, he got speeding tickets in Europe in several locations because he was trying to meet, I guess, his reservation and all of that. And uh, as of last year, he got to 99 of those restaurants. And there's only one left. And the last one is called Sushi Saito. It's in Tokyo, Japan. Sushi Saito is an eight-seat restaurant. They only serve eight people at a time. And in order to eat at Sushi Saito, you have to be a member. And so Paul, he's tried everything. I mean, he's tried calling, and apparently they only answer the phone once a month. They're like, forget talking to people. We're just going to work on the food, I guess. <laughs> and, and so he's tried, he's tried that. I mean, he's tried all kinds of things, just, just trying to get in. I mean, with other restaurants, it's worked. He's been able to, like, make, I don't know, somehow make a deal with the, the owner or something and kind of sneak in when he hasn't had a reservation or they've stayed open extra hours just so that he could come because I guess he was in the area and just needed to get to that restaurant. He, he tried everything with these other ones and it's worked. But this one, they don't budge. They're like, nope, you're not a member. Forget that. We're like Paul. We can't get into a right relationship with God. We can try all we want. It's not going to cut it. God's standard's too high. It's perfection. Now, there is another way for Paul to be able to, to eat at Sushi Saito. A member can invite him to eat there. Problem is, he's tried and no one's invited him. <laughs> I mean, he's tried with all these CEOs and apparently uh, it hasn't worked. There's a way to have a right relationship with God. It's if we have an invitation. And that's what God has done. Look at Romans 3.21. But now, the righteousness of God, the, this, is righteous, this is the rightness that God can give. The righteousness of God or from God has been manifested. It's been revealed apart from the law, apart from doing the law. Though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. it, it it's been there. God has revealed this and it's always been a part of his plan. And what is that? Look at verse 22. This is how we can have a right relationship, a right be in right standing with God, the perfect righteous God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's God's invitation. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus. That's how we get into a right relationship. We Rely on what Jesus has done. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 
says basically the same thing, a little bit different though. He says, for our sake, God, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin. God, Jesus was perfect. He, he did no wrong. And even though he was perfect, he who made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, being in a right relationship with him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's through Jesus that we have a right relationship with God. The invitation is trust Jesus, him alone, rely on him alone. And that's how we can be in right standing with God. That's how we can know God and walk with God. Here's what Paul essentially is saying. Rely on Jesus. And as you do that, God says, that guy, that woman, that man, that person, I forgive them and they're right with me. He has forgiven us of all our wrongdoing, all the different actions, attitudes, and thoughts that were not up to God's standard and were therefore wrong. All of that, he's forgiven. But he didn't just end there. He didn't just say, okay, you're forgiven. He then gave us Jesus' right actions and thoughts and attitudes. And he considers that as belonging to us. And he punished all the wrong that we deserve, that punishment that we deserved He put that on Jesus, right? Jesus took that punishment on the cross and paid for it in full so that we could be forgiven. We're told he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so God has forgiven us, but then he's also said, You're now right with me and you can be in relationship with me. And the point that we, we got to get is that God has done this. It isn't anything that we worked up. God totally took care of this and did this. He... It's grace. He gave this to us as a gift. That's what Paul's gonna say next. Um, in, in verse 24, you are justified, declared right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And whatever God does, it's always perfect. Nothing lacking. Now, before we go any further, let's just stop and let me ask you this question. Have you been made right with God? Are you in right standing with God? Does this describe you having been forgiven and now God says that that person is right with me? Is that you this morning? It's simple. Have you trusted and are you relying on what Jesus has done and not relying on anything that you could do? 
It's complete reliance on Jesus Christ. Now, maybe this does describe you and you are trusting in Jesus. How does what we've just learned and and thought on and, and meditated on, how does that help you and I be free from this heavy, hindering guilt? How does this truth come back to bring freedom? It's because this is the truth. That I'm right with God because of what Jesus has done and only because of what Jesus has done. Because he lived a perfect life that's now considered my life. Because of his death and resurrection. Because God considers me right with him. Because God has forgiven me. You see, if we go back to that original story, See, this is really what has happened. <clears throat> I'm fellowshipping with the Lord. You know, I start the day. And my standing with God, if you look at the top of that line, it's perfect. Why? Because it's Christ's perfection. That doesn't change. I don't lose that. I lose fellowship with God because of my sin. But my standing with God doesn't change. Why? Because it has nothing to do with what I can do for God, but what God has done for me. It has everything to do with what God has done for me. So my basis of my relationship with God is always and only because of what God has done for me. And it is perfect. And again, my fellowship can be broken with God because of my sin. But my standing with God never changes. It doesn't. Because it's all about Jesus. We've been hearing on Monday night meetings in the book of Hebrews about Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice. It's a once and only. We don't go back to the old sacrificial system. We, We don't go back to works under the law because it's Christ alone. His sacrifice was enough. And so the problem is, though, I'm sad and discouraged and burdened by this heavy, hindering guilt because so oftentimes I want to come to God based on my performance. And so if I'm not performing very well, I don't feel like I can come to God. When, in fact, if I'm clean and I've confessed all my sin, I can come to God right away. Because it's based on what Jesus has done. Not at all on what I've done. Let me read to you a a quote by Martin Luther. This comes from his his commentary on the book of Galatians. It's a little long, so, so bear with me. The genius of Christianity takes the words of Paul, and and he quotes, who gave himself for our sins, as true and efficacious. We are not to look upon our sins as insignificant trifles. On the other hand, we are not to regard them as so terrible that we despair. 
Learn to believe that Christ was given, not for picayune, which I had to look that up, means petty or worthless, and imaginary transgressions, but for mountainous sins, not for one or two, but for all, not for sins that can be discarded, but for sins that are stubbornly ingrained. And then he says this, practice this truth and fortify yourself against despair, particularly in the last hour when the memory of past sins assails the conscience. Say with confidence, Christ, the son of God, was given not for the righteous, but for sinners. If I had no sin, I should not need Christ. No, Satan, you cannot delude me into thinking I am holy. The truth is I am all sin. My sins are not imaginary transgressions, but sins against the first table. Unbelief, doubt, despair, contempt, hatred, ignorance of God, ingratitude towards him, misuse of his name, neglect of his word, etc. And sins against the second table, dishonor of parents, disobedience of government, coveting of another's possessions, and etc. Granted that I have not committed murder, adultery, theft, and similar sins indeed, Nevertheless, I've committed them in in the heart, and therefore I am a transgressor of all the commandments of God. Because my transgressions are multiplied in my own efforts at self-justification, rather a hindrance than a furtherance, therefore Christ the Son of God gave himself into death for my sins. To believe this is to have eternal life. Did you get what Luther said? And again, I know it's long. What did he say? Practice this truth and fortify it. Don't give yourself to despair. You're a sinner, great, agree. But Christ came for sinners. He came to bring salvation to sinners. Let me end with this story by a guy named uh, Terry. It's a true story. When Terry was a kid, he had a bicycle. He... He enjoyed riding around his little neighborhood, and the day came when his parents were like, you know what, you're old enough. You can move on to the bigger waters, you know. You can go out, enjoy some adventures. So, Terry wrote this. I'd broken free of the constraints of my little neighborhood, and now I was on my own to experience a grand adventure. As I crossed the railroad tracks and then rumbled over a small creek on a single-lane bridge, the bridge, made of wood and steel, was no big deal. But on that day, long ago, it became a bridge too far. As I began to cross, four teenage boys stepped onto the far side of the bridge. I intended to pass by. They had other things in mind. One of the boys grabbed my handlebars, and spun my bike to an abrupt stop. Hey, where do you think you're going? He snarled as the other boy chimed in. Yeah, kid, where are you going? Instantly, I knew they intended to beat me up. I was petrified. I couldn't fight or break free to run, so I I stood there frozen. Suddenly, one of the bullies asked, What's your name? I answered him in a a high-pitched, pre-adolescent, quivering voice, "Uh, Terry, and -and so-and-so, his last name. (laughs) 
the three remaining teenagers got a bit silent and looked at one another nervously. Uh, Are you related to Tom so-and-so? Tom was a much older cousin who happened to play defensive end on the high school football team. (laughs) But I lied. And I told them Tom was my brother. (laughs) And they immediately backed off. One of the boys, you know, straightened out my shirt and started saying, hey, we were just funning around. No harm. You're a great kid. And if anyone gives you any trouble, you tell us and we'll take care of you. It's a funny story. You know, just like Terry, at times we feel a little beaten up by that guilt. It comes to bully us, to say, well, your sin was too great and you just can't pray today. Don't even try. Don't get to the word. No. Just stay where you are. Keep thinking about what you did, how you blew it time and time again. So we're just like Terry in that way. But unlike Terry, we don't have to lie about our identity. We can live in what is true of us. The fact that we have been declared by God right with him. That's a truth. That's a fact. If you're relying upon Jesus... And with great confidence, we can tell those bullies and ourselves that that's not us. So we can preach to ourselves the truth and we can preach this truth that I am right with God because of what Jesus has done. Let's close in prayer. Father, we glory in this salvation that you have given to us. We marvel at what you have done. We couldn't couldn't even dream up a better salvation. This is so awesome. Father, help us to live in light of what is true about us now and what you have done for us. Thank you for sending your Son Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Father, I pray that in those times when we're tempted to look at our performance, meet us to live by what is true and what you think of us. So bring freedom to us, Father. All so that you would be glorified. This is about your name. And we pray this in your name. Amen.